From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 368, and today's show is brought to you by Pingdom, Discourse, DoorDash, and Amazon Music. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason. Hi, Mike Hurley. Big show today. I'm listening. You're li- Ah, it's good. It's good. Oh, baby, you hear that? <laughs> Toss salads and scrambled eggs. <laughs> I know what you were trying to do there. So we are doing our first ever upgrade call-in show today. So throughout this episode, you're going to be hearing questions from our upgradians. And we're actually going to start with our hashtag snow talk question. Jason, can you cue it up? Is the caller there? Hi, Mike and Jason. It's Ellen from Australia. Uh, my question is, when you're all able to get together again and have a big party, what's the canonical dance move that everybody knows? In Australia, it's the nutbush. I had to look into this. Me too. The, the nutbush, because, you know, uh, I was worried. What's, what are we, we talking about We might not be here? able to run that on a, yep. at the, in the episode. Yeah, for sure. The nutbush is a dance uh, that is to a Tina Turner song called Nutbush City Limits. And for some reason, this line dance has become very popular in Australia, and it is expected that all Australians know how to do the nutbush. So I'll put some links in the show notes to to both a video showing a bunch of Australians doing the nutbush and the Wikipedia article. Is there one that immediately jumps to mind for you, Jason? Like a a Uh, dance that everyone knows? A dance that everyone knows? I... Uh, well, first off, I, I tend not to be around places where people are dancing. Like, mm-hmm. if people start dancing, I that's my cue to get out of there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so I I don't I don't know if there if there is. I'm sure it varies from right. Like they're novelty dances, so there's mm-hmm. certain fra- phases of time where the everybody Macarena. knows everybody. Sure, the Macarena. You're dating me, but yeah, that's true. That was a dance a dance craze, and there was a period in there where every uh, dad knew oh what was it that every dad knew how to do the, you know there's always the and then they embarrass every child with it now i can't even okay. remember what it was there's dance crazes they happen i don't i don't have an answer here if if i was forced to try to do a dance move of any kind it would be the robot just for irony reasons so i was trying to think of a dance like a like a group dance that was equally perplexing i think to non from people who don't live in the place, you know, like to everyone outside of Australia, it is absolutely perplexing that the nutbush is caught on so much. So Jason, I would like to tell you about a dance called Oops Upside Your Head, which right. is performed to the song, uh, I Don't Believe You Want to Get Up and Dance, uh, paren Oops, retitled to Oops Upside Your Head because of the dance uh, that came afterwards. I've put a link in the show notes to uh, a video here. Um, it is the, 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 unfortunately I was, didn't do a very good job really looking around Wikipedia to find a good video. And the main issue is because every video on, uh, YouTube, I should say, where people are doing this dance, they're incredibly drunk, uh, in, in the UK. This is typically (laughs) done at weddings and you have to do this at the point where, uh, everyone is so drunk that they'll do it. So I was ended up finding a, like from a, uh, kids music YouTube channel. So it's much more tame, which is a good thing. In Oops Upside Your Head, everybody sits down on the ground in a line. So you sit directly behind the person behind you. And Uh mostly the song is you hitting uh, the ground with your hands and clapping over your head and like 
moving backwards and forwards. It's very strange. I cannot describe it to you. You just have to watch it. Um, there's lots but of shimmying. Everybody knows how to do it? Everyone knows. When this song starts at like a, a, a wedding in England, it's like everyone's down on the ground. We all know what's going on. It's the same as like if there was a conga. It's that kind yeah. of idea. Yeah. I, I remembered what the, the dance move is that every suburban dad knows and embarrasses their kids with, and it's flossing. Oh, Jason, no. Yeah. Oh, not Jason, me. no. Not me, but I can't tell you how many suburban dads I I uh, I, I saw who, who learned how to floss so that they could embarrass their children. That upsets me. That upsets me greatly. That was a great, that was yes. a great way to open the show. Uh, we do have some, before we get to many, many more questions today, we have some uh, matters to settle. But usually you can send in a question to open the show with the hashtag SnowTalk. Just send out a tweet with the hashtag SnowTalk or use question mark SnowTalk in the Relay FM members Discord. Uh, I would like to give our Upgradians an update on our uh, fundraising efforts for St. Jude this year. Uh, as of recording, we have raised over $70,000 in our campaign, which is absolutely unbelievable. Thank you so much to everybody that has donated so far as we continue to work our way towards our fundraising goals for this year. Um, I want to tell you a little bit more about St. Jude and why we do this work. So September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, and for the third consecutive year, we are all supporting the life-saving mission of St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. That mission is finding cures and saving children, because cancer kills more children under the age of 14 than any other disease. Doctors from all 50 U.S. states and around the world refer their patients to St. Jude because they have the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive childhood cancers. St. Jude also provides thousands of free consultations for doctors treating children worldwide, including kids in your community. This September, you can join Relay FM's efforts to raise the funds and awareness needed to treat and defeat childhood cancer by donating at stjude.org relay. Any donor making a single gift of $100 or more will receive an exclusive Relay FM sticker of thanks pack at the end of the campaign. And if you do donate and your company has a, a corporate matching program, please send us an email and we can have that amount routed through to the campaign. If you just email Stephen at Relay.fm with any like proof of your corporate matching, that will get added into our campaign total. So also as well, if you are donating, check if your company has a uh, matching scheme. So we'd really appreciate that. So throughout September as well, there's going to be a bunch of milestone live streams put on by Stephen and myself. You can go to stjude.org slash relay. You can find out what they are and when they're going to be. So go to stjude.org slash relay. Let's cure childhood cancer together. All right, got some follow-up and little, mm -hmm. little items for you, Jason. There's one thing that we kind of just have to cover today, but like ultimately I think it's kind of ridiculous honestly i'm happy we have such a busy show so we don't have to spend a bunch of time talking about yeah. this i i actually haven't posted about this on six colors either because there's really nothing that i would say other than that this is nothing and uh don't try to ascribe more meaning to it because there isn't any apple settles a class action lawsuit with u.s developers they put out a big press release about this a bunch of um, newspapers and stuff wrote some stories i really liked a piece by ben thompson today on Shatekery. I think it was the daily update, basically saying like Apple tricked a bunch of large media companies into thinking yes. that this was something that was really good for developers, but yeah. actually kind of nothing changed. And maybe some things kind of got worse. I want to run through the things from this class action lawsuit, this settlement that was made that Apple have uh, stated uh, they're going to maintain the small business program for three years in its current form. This is where they give uh, developers 
who make under a million dollars uh, 15% instead of 30%. I think this is worse for two ways. One, it's saying it's for three years. Was it going to be more or less? Who knows? In its current form, the current form isn't good enough. So, hooray. Uh, they reiterated a bunch of App Store search rules and reiterated that they're going to keep their rejection appeal process in place. Uh, Apple has stated that developers can email customers about other payment options. I think we'll come back to that one. They're adding more price points, over 500 possible price points for a developer. They're going to make an annual transparency report, and they've created a $100 million small developer assistance fund. This is branding for the payout for this class action lawsuit. So developers, if they meet the conditions required, can apply to receive money And then by taking that money, they cannot take any further legal action against Apple for these things. Uh, And lawyer, but the lawyers who did all of this work are apparently trying to take thirty percent of that one hundred million dollars. Of course, so it's all great. Um, The thing that people originally thought was exciting, but it turns out just isn't, is that developers can email customers about payment options. This is no change to anything. Uh, that really, like, no. really, I mean, Apple tried to have some rules, but there was no way that they could have discovered or enforced these rules before. They don't give you an email list. You have to have acquired the email list. Um, anyone could have emailed their customer base and said, oh, by the way, you can pay us on our website. I don't think it's made a difference to absolutely anything. But now it's like, if you were worried Apple was going to kick you out of the store over this, then they can't now. This is, so essentially, there was a class action lawsuit they weren't going to get any, the, the people suing were not going to get anything out of Apple. Um, so they settled. The settlement lets Apple announce that they settled a lawsuit, which makes, uh, and you're exactly right, it makes a lot of people who don't know a lot about the current situation in the App Store think that there's progress here. It makes Apple look like they are settling with developers and uh, solving these controversies that are out there, when in fact the settlement essentially doesn't require apple to give anything away other than this hundred million dollars which is spun as rather than as a settlement as a an assistance fund so it's actually spun as apple helping developers um there's essentially nothing changes here it it is it is it is a pr maneuver to make apple look like it's changing when it's not changing and like you know, this that PR move is again. It's like to to signify to the people who think that Apple have to change their what's called steering provisions, which is where they make you pay. You know, like they can they they don't let, allow you to tell people to pay outside or whatever. This makes it seem like they're backing down on that, but really they haven't changed anything at all. No, because um, all of the restrictions are they're agreeing to allow developers to do something that developers already basically could do. Um. And the rules about what developers can't do, like there's a lot of a lot of stories sort of made assumptions, especially initial stories after this was announced by Apple. And and of course, Apple did a, did this as a press release and a briefing and all these things to steer it in the way that they wanted it to be covered. And so people took it as being uh, maybe what Apple said of of being a, a big deal. And the truth is that a lot of the details, when you burrow down into them, are completely unchanged from how it was before. So while there may be some little things that happen, at least in the U.S., because this is an American lawsuit and I believe only covers the United States anyway, um, really it's nothing mm-hmm. other than Apple PR. And if there are small changes, they're so small as to be immaterial or beside the point, right? Like adding more price points is maybe a change, but doesn't 
it's not what this is about, right? It's Apple giving ground on something that doesn't matter and that isn't what people are watching Apple for. So this is a this is essentially Apple uh, reaping a PR benefit out of this class action lawsuit. They pay a hundred million dollars and they get to look like they're burying the hatchet with developers when it's actually this one class action suit. I mean, and honestly, like James Thompson's posted in, in the in the Discord, this just makes it even more BS than it currently already is. All of the, even those rules about the email, it's like US only. So yeah. like, oh, I, you know what? We've already given this more time. I don't want to spend mm-hmm. the rest of this episode getting angry about yeah. this because I just, it's, I will. No, the point, the point I think we need to tell people who listen to Upgrade is if you saw a story over the weekend that said Apple was burying the hatchet with developers and making substantive changes to the App Store in order to make developers happy, um, that's not true. It's not true. That's not really what happened. And, uh, and we're basically not in any different state than we were before unless Apple's PR uh, move here somehow provides a fig leaf for politicians or, you know, whoever to say, oh, Apple's uh, Apple's shaping up. But anybody who knows anything about this, including all the developers we know, all the people like the Coalition for App Fairness people were quoted in a lot of these stories. Like, it's a nothing. It's just nothing. Let's do a couple of Apple TV Plus headlines for Upstream. Ted Lasso cleaned up at the first annual, they called it that, Jason, HCA oh. TV Awards. I was so excited. I, they, I I tuned into their YouTube channel for a little bit, and they called it the first annual Hollywood Critics Association TV Awards. Who are the Hollywood Critics Association? What is that? That's a, well, founded in late 2016, says the Apple press release. Very yep. prestigious. Yeah, this is this is this is a new thing. This was a rebrand of a previous award ceremony, I think. I was looking into this. Okay. Um, but this was a legit like every, yeah, this seemed to be something that people were excited about before today. Like I tuned in and they had a bunch of people there. Like this this seems to be a, a deal. I don't know why. Uh but Apple won or Ted Lasso for Ted Lasso, best streaming series in a comedy, best actor in a comedy for Jason Sudeikis, best supporting actor for Brett Goldstein, who plays Kent. Uh, Roy Kent, uh, best supporting actress for Hannah Waddingham, who plays Rebecca. Um, that they got all of those for Ted Lasso, so four. They also uh, Rupert Grint for Servant won best actor in a streaming series for drama. So it's pretty good outing, and awards. I think this is going to be you know, look, we said this before, the start of a very big award season for Ted Lasso. Yeah. Speaking of Ted Lasso, uh, I was on an episode with you and Brian Hamilton and my wife, Adina, uh, of Football is Life, which is the incomparable episode-by-episode recap podcast of Ted Lasso. And so you can go and check that out. It's uh, episode 16 of the show for Series 2, Episode 6, The Signal, which was a really interesting episode, and I'm very happy that I was able to to be a part of the recap for that one. Yeah, we had a good time. That was uh, was a fun, fun time. A lot of podcasts this weekend for me, but that was a good one. And the problem with Jon Stewart will be debuting on September 30th. They had a little teaser trailer that I enjoyed today. I enjoyed this mm-hmm. teaser trailer way more than I did the uh, teaser sketch the fi- that they did. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they I also, I, I don't know if this was news or not. I couldn't remember. Uh, but one of the jokes in it, I won't spoil it, but it references like, why didn't I just start a podcast? Um, mm-hmm. And there and is did. going to be a companion podcast. Uh, which is actually available to subscribe to now in Apple Podcasts. Yeah, of course. So, I'm excited for this show. I don't really know what to expect, honestly. So I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty jazzed about it. Yeah, 
Yeah, it'll be good to see John Stewart again. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by our friends over at Discourse. Discourse was founded in 2013 by Jeff Atwood from Stack Overflow, Robin Ward, and Sam Saffron. It is a powerful, flexible, open-source community platform where discussions are searchable, so you're able to find all of the relevant details for your project or community. The platform is designed with moderation in mind, helping you keep the discussion on track and high value while minimizing the impact of trolls, and it integrates with Zapier, Patreon, Memberful, and so many more. I've spent a bunch of time looking in the Mac Power Users Discourse forum, so they have one for Mac Power Users. And I really love how easily and neatly everything is presented and laid out. Like now that I have seen and used Discourse, I never want to look at any other old looking forum again. Like this is what everyone should be using. What I like is not only can you choose different ways to display things, like kind of hot topics or latest topics, everything's nice and searchable and it loads really smoothly and fastly, like fast and doesn't feel like uh, it was made 30 years ago, like a lot of forums do. Discourse offers a 100% 14-day free trial. After that, plans start at $100 a month. And the folks over at Discourse are giving upgrade listeners 50% off your first two months after you start your subscription. So just go to discourse.org, that's D-I-S-C-O-U-R-S-E.org. Use the coupon code RELAY2021 when signing up. That's discourse.org and the code RELAY2021 for 50% off your first two months. I also want to mention that they have a new offering called Discourse for Teams. This is perfect for small teams or businesses using looking to use Discourse to collaborate because it is a private, focused Discourse instance with added features like a new sidebar, automatic icebreaker tools, team updates, and more to help groups of people work together more effectively. There isn't currently an offer code for the teams, but the plans start at just $20 a month. If you want to learn more about that, you can go to teams.discourse.com. Our thanks to Discourse for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, let's get to our Ask Upgrade Out Loud questions. We have so many, it'll probably be the rest of the entire show. Kick us off, Jason. All right, here's our first one. This is Chance from Illinois. I wanted to ask if you think the 12-inch MacBook could make some sort of comeback in the future with an M1 chip. Thanks for answering, and happy summer of fun! (laughs) I'm Chance, and this is my question. I like his presentation. Chance has... An incredible voice. For, <laughs> like, so good, very good, and good Good work on Summer of Fun Chance, but it wasn't. Yes. It wasn't enough. No, it's not your strongest. It wasn't. Summer of Fun! That's how you really got to do it. I, I left you hanging there. Oh, that's fine. Summer of Fun! Yeah, you can see Chance. Chance was embarrassed to be shouting that so loudly. He was. So they held it back. 12 inch well, MacBook, Jason. I mean, this was what we all thought was going to be the first M1 Mac for a time. Well, I'd like to tell you there's a chance. Ew. Um. Oh, no, I don't have a little uh, sound effect. for. It's probably all for the best. Um, the 1200, yeah, I mean, I would love to see Apple make a proper, light, thin MacBook Air, basically, that is... Um, that is even smaller than the one that they've got. Um, I'm not sure it's ever going to happen, but I would really like to see them sort of differentiate uh, the MacBook Air from the MacBook Pro. The problem is that the rumors suggest that there is a new MacBook Air coming and that it's not, it's, it's going to be another 13 inch MacBook Air 
Um, the 13-inch MacBook Air isn't much um, bigger than the old 11-inch MacBook Air in most dimensions, but every time, because I have a 12-inch MacBook here at home, every time I pick it up, I, I realize, oh, yeah, the MacBook Air could be so much thinner and lighter. I hope they do it someday. I think there's room for it. Um, my fear is that they look at at the popularity of the 11-inch Air compared to the 13-inch and, and just don't think it's a a place they need to go. And then the 12 inch MacBook also didn't apparently mm. sell that well because they didn't keep it around, but I would love to see it uh, because I thin light, tiny laptops are awesome. So uh, I hope so. Uh, if I had to predict, I would predict not, but I think there's still a chance and I'm going to hold out hope for that. I mean, they can always make, or not not necessarily, but they can always try to just make the 13-inch physically smaller still, you know, just keep trying to make it smaller and smaller would sure. help. I think I would lo- also like it because I really love that form factor of a laptop. I think the problem is just in the market, like the overall market, 12 inches is is strange for a laptop like the, yeah. there aren't there isn't a lot of competition there and i think that that could end up harming apple because people probably want to have a decent sized screen on their laptop and it kind of feels like the industry is settled on 13 as yeah. that size so and people ascribe some amount of value to screen size too i think that's mm-hmm. the problem is some of us look at it and think oh wow if i could get a 12 inch macbook that's super thin and light and all um, that would be great. But I think a lot of people say, well, yeah, but there's this 13-inch, right? Like, there's the bigger one. I, I want the bigger one. Also, interfaces, like, I don't know. I feel like Apple is maybe not comfortable with an interface on a on a Mac that small, that they want them all to be a little bit bigger than that. And all, all the bulk of the laptops that Apple sells are 13 and 15 or four, maybe soon to be 14 and 16. But in the range of 13 to 16, um, it's already 16, but like, right, there, there, there's the rumor that the 13 Pro is going to be a 14. So let's just say mm-hmm. Apple's comfortable with 13 to 16-inch laptop displays, and the 14-inch MacBook Pro is enough to start differentiating it from the Air, and they redesign the Air, and they're happy with that. So that's the most likely scenario for sure. So the next question. Uh, this one is for you. My name is Brent, and I'm from the Kansas City area in Missouri. My question is mainly for Mike. I know that you used to do most of your work on an iPad, and you now have switched and do most of it on a Mac. I'm wondering what kind of pain points did you have going from the iPad back to the Mac? Thank you, Brent. So I think one of the things that was beneficial for me is I was still a heavy Mac user when I was a predominantly iPad user. So it wasn't like... Like, if I switched to Windows, it would have been a nightmare, right? It's like I tried to work out how to reuse a computer again. So... It wasn't really that harsh, but there are some things that were trickier. So, I mean, I've spoken about this before. I don't think I'm ever going to get used to just how messy windowing can be on a Mac compared to the iPad. I mean, and you can say, and and I agree, that the iPad can be too limiting at times, but I sure would love something in the middle. And I've never found a automatic window resizing application that I've liked. Like, it's just... there's just something about it this doesn't sit with me but I can I can live with it. Uh the biggest thing was the lack of sh- shortcuts for the Mac. So I'm super excited about Monterey. I'm thinking like I like to not install the latest version of macOS like straight away, but I feel like I'm not going to be able to resist shortcuts and so we'll probably be putting it on all of my devices pretty quickly after it comes out. 
Um, and I would say overall, I feel like some apps were like kind of missing on the Mac. Like even though there are apps on the Mac that obviously I cannot get on my iPad, which is obviously an important thing. But I feel like there was some stuff where I kind of had to use the web browser more because the web browser isn't really good enough on iOS. So companies make apps and then the apps have additional features or feel different. Like for example, I kind of wished that I didn't have to use Google Docs and Sheets in the browser, I would actually prefer an application for them so I could just open it and close it. Because otherwise I have all these like Google Sheets in tabs open all the time. When I, It would be much nicer for me if I could just open an app and they're all there instead. Like just mm-hmm. a little thing, but something that, that I would prefer. But overall, I will say that my transition back to the Mac has been pretty seamless so far and I'm actually really happy. I have just something you just said made me think of a I know they've got a lot to do this summer, but a future direction for the Safari team, which is why do we have to have single site browsers? Why is that not a feature of Safari? Mm. I should be able to take uh, a site or a very particular tab and say, can you put this in a separate or a tab group item in the dock or yeah, in the dock? Right. Mm -hmm. You don't need to even call it an app, but say put it in the dock. So that I could take Gmail or Google Docs or whatever, and maybe I can do it per domain, or maybe I can just do it per tab, but say, like, put this in the dock. And why? when I mean put it in the dock, I also mean that if I quit Safari, it either doesn't close that thing that's in the dock, or it says would you like Safari to stay running? I see that you've got other things in the dock, mm-hmm. right? Like, I don't know why site single site browsing is not just other than that it's a little esoteric but like that's such a great feature like why the web is so expansive people do so many different things with the web i appreciate that they've done tab groups but the the reason i don't keep things alive i don't want to keep things alive in safari and i always prefer an app or a single site browser is because it's so easy to close browser windows and lose the thing that you were working on and it's cluttery and it would allow you to manage it so i'm just going to throw that out there a half-formed feature idea that I would really love it if Safari would embrace the idea that maybe you need more more dock items, not necessarily for every website, but on a user you know choice basis to mm-hmm. to put things in the in a separate. It's not even a, a separate process. I mean, all Safari windows are in a separate process anyway. But the idea that you would have like another organizational instance that you could hide and show that would appear in the dock to bring it forward and all of those things that we use the dock for instead of all of these sort of uh you know hacks to make a webkit or chromium uh, uh fake app <laughs> that loads a web page because those are never really that great Zach's made a great point in the discord they already do this on ios with single pages so that's why not true bring it to the mac too and put multiple pages in it or something that's true. That would be, it's uh, yeah, you can save it to your homepage and then it acts like it's an what app. What we're looking for here, Apple, is a sweet solution to this problem. Can you help yeah. us out? I just, I like that idea that, mm-hmm. that instead of us trying to struggle with this, what if we said, can I take my Google Docs and just make a kind of a, a fake app that you can put an icon on it or whatever, but like, it's really just Safari. It's just in a different space, in a different place, and it's in my dock. Let's get our next question. All right. Hey, this is Brad from Missouri. What do you think the current state of HomeKit is in terms of priority at Apple? Do either of you use HomeKit primarily or something else? I'm all HomeKit. Hmm. 
Uh, I use HomeBridge to bridge my stuff mm-hmm. to HomeKit. I use the HomeKit app. I have some HomeKit automations, not that many, but some. I have it wired to various controllers uh, as well, like switches and things. I had my TV set up for a while when I still had my, uh, I still do have my TiVo. It's just sort of deactivated and I'm, I'm playing the shows off of it that I want to watch before we unplug it and, and it's officially discontinued. Um, that switch, I have a little smart switch that like sets the receiver and the TV to the right thing so that the TiVo works. I'm all using, I'm, I'm, I'm using all that stuff. Now in the long run, Homebridge, like Homebridge exists because a bunch of people made smart, uh, devices that didn't work with HomeKit. Uh, the Matter Alliance is supposed to change this, but it's not its not here yet. It's delayed as well, isn't it? Yeah. In, in the meantime, I am reluctant to buy any tech that does not work with HomeKit. I'm open to the idea if I can find a HomeBridge plugin for it to give it a try, but I'm really trying to limit myself to HomeKit stuff when, whenever possible. In fact, this came up because we were having some issues with my um, my smart lock, which turned out to be that uh, it's bad at telling you that it uh, its batteries are dying ah. and it starts to behave weirdly when it, like it doesn't just shut off. It just sort of like stops doing some stuff sometimes when the batteries get low. Hmm. Uh, we place the batteries and it's good. And, and that's good because while I could buy another lock, two things. One is Wirecutter updated their pick for the best smart lock. And it's a really interesting lock that's got a, a fingerprint scanner on it, which would be super great for easy access. You just walk up to the door and put your thumb on it and it opens. I love it. Um, but it doesn't do HomeKit and there's no HomeBridge plugin for it. And I thought, do I really want to, like I could use it because I don't do a lot of HomeKit stuff related to the to the smart lock, but I do have one automation related to it that I think is kind of nice where if it auto unlocks the lock at night, the lights turn on inside so you can see where you're mm-hmm. going. Um, so I, I would really rather wait. And then number two is uh, Apple announced their whole home key thing and the idea that that you should be able to do like U- UWB uh right ultra wideband u1 yes. chip kind of uh smart locks which are going to be way better than the bluetooth le stuff that's out there now and i really want to wait for that but part of my hesitation about getting a new smart lock is actually that the one that is the most recommended now doesn't do home kit it's like yeah i don't think i want to go down that route where i've got uh, uh you know uh, we'll open the uh amazon app for this one <laughs> like no i don't i don't want to do that i want it available on all of my assistants and my watch and all of those things i like HomeKit. that's like my preferred but in the past i've tried to get devices that would at least cover like amazon echo as well just in case and there's there are actually quite a lot of products in certain categories that you can use with multiple Ultimately, I find a lot of the home automation stuff to just be too tricky right now. So I'm like crossing my fingers and hoping that Matter ends up solving all of my problems. Like HomeBridge, for example. Like I set up HomeBridge here at the studio and then all of a sudden one day it just stopped working because for some reason the clock went out of sync on the little box that I used and it was Mm -hmm. just impossible to ever fix. And so I decided well, what happened to me was exactly what I thought was going to happen, which was something was going to happen with my home bridge set up one day and it was going to make me never want to use it again. And that yep. thing exactly happened, which is why I would never, had never planned to bring that to my home because I'm not going to inflict that on right. my family. I only use HomeBridge because I bought, like I don't buy, like I said, I don't buy stuff and think, 
oh, well, I'll just attach this to Homebridge. Like, if it matters... Hey, was that a pun? It, it matter, yes. That was not a pun, but sure, it does. It matters to me that uh, something is HomeKit enabled unless I'm not planning on really using it using uh, a smart home system, right? Which sometimes happens. But what, I, what I've tried to refrain from doing is think of Homebridge as a long-term solution that I'm going to bake in with my buying decisions, right? Like I don't want to have to keep using Homebridge forever. It's, it's a back, like I have an old Nest thermostat, right? It's like, it's on Homebridge now, which means I can see it in the Home app. That's great. But I wouldn't buy a new thermostat that didn't support HomeKit. That's not going to happen. So it needs to be... Now, mm. maybe I will be able to buy like another Nest thermostat sometime that supports uh, Matter. And so it works with HomeKit and everything is good. But um, I, I totally... I'm with you. I mean, HomeBridge is fine, but I'd really rather not have to rely on some software running on a computer somewhere in order to stitch my whole smart home together. Before we move on, a bit of breaking news. I don't think we're going to have time to cover this today, but I'll just put it in here for the sake of it. Apple have acquired a classical music streaming service called Prime Phonic. And they're going to be, yep. I think, offering a separate application and having this content available. But yeah, interesting. They're going to take down Prime Phonic uh, later this year. They're going to integrate a lot of the classical content into Apple Music now, and they are apparently going to release an Apple Music classical app. And this, mm. we we used to uh, Kirk McElhern, who still writes about this, and I can't wait to see what he says about this story because he's like the classical streaming music beat guy for MacWorld for years. He was that was he was our go to to write all the ways that that Apple Music and iTunes never ever really understood how classical music fans listen to music. So I think this is kind of cool because. Because I know that background and I know that Apple, you know, for all of Apple's talk about loving all, all kinds of music, Apple's never really been very good at classical. And this okay. purchase basically gets them classical music knowledge and technology, lets them integrate it to Apple Music. And I think it's telling that they're going to do a classical music app because Apple's kind of mental model of how music works is not a good fit for classical. So okay. uh, fans of classical music, and they are out there, and and uh, I, I know some of them, and I know how frustrated they've been by the digital music revolution because it has not been as good for them as it mm -hmm. has been for those of us who like pop music. Classics like the Eagles, right? The Eagles, Diastrates, Classical kind of music <laughs> is like Jimi Hendrix, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a start. That's basically a Star Trek joke. You made a Star Trek joke there. I think that yeah. that's how they how they refer to popular music in the future as as classical music. Who's our next caller? Hello, Mike and Jason. Eric from Vancouver, Canada, calling in. I thought, as a former Siri enthusiast, it would be fun to ask what area, feature, or service do you feel Apple could be doing a much better job with? Hmm. Immediately, photos jumped to my mind. And you are much more of a photos person than me. Oh boy, yeah, I have but to be. But there was just when I when it, when Eric said service because I think all the other services kind of kind of were, I think mostly okay for what I want to use them for. But it's just there are some features for photos, like two major features for photos that other services, competing services, do a better job with. And it's surprising to me that Apple don't yet offer these this functionality, which is like proper family sharing like actual real family sharing like we can have a library yeah and we all get to share it they have they have built so many features to not do family sharing and they're it's all amazing. really weird like all yeah. of the the sharing stuff that's available right now is really strange and i would very much like to have a family like a full family sharing feature or even just like for me like 
to just quickly have like a way to opt some photos into being shared amongst the family, you know, like, which is not really a thing that happens now. There has to be very much this like, and then they put, man, I've, I installed the iOS beta on my phone now. Um, and Mm -hmm. that like the for you feature with adding images directly to my photo library is I think genuinely one of the worst features Apple has added to iOS in a very long time. I I don't want messages. I like I don't want images that are sent to me in iMessage to show up in my photo library, even if they're from events where you were present. But that's not real. But then I'm going to save them. If somebody sends me a message right. and I so want you don't like, it, you don't like that they show their they, they show up in the library automatically. You want to yeah. just have that be. I think that may be an option. But you're right. The idea is I found it. It's an option. It's only for events where you were present right it's only so it's not people text you things they don't that's not true like i mean i know that's what they okay. said but it's like that's for what the, example that's what, how it's supposed to work like adina sent me a picture of something at home while i was here at the studio a couple of days ago and it's in my library huh yeah like, that's not supposed to be it's supposed to look at location and time yeah and that's, that's keep not what happens separate. like yeah. or like you know like uh like another one like adina went to the dentist and she sent me a picture of her smile afterwards She's at the dentist. I'm at the studio. Now, like, yeah. maybe it's yet, because it's like it knows we're in a family together or whatever, but this mm-hmm. isn't what I want. Like, I, no. if I want whatever images I want, I will save them. Like, I don't right. need this stuff. And they, and they have that up. nice feature now in messages where you can just tap. It's so and good. Say, Put yeah, this in my I, I love library. that. But then all these random images start showing up in my mm. library. Like, I don't That's want not- that. That's not um, so good. And I mentioned this before, I want better control over memory features. Apple have added some more things, like don't show mm-hmm. me this person. I don't know why I have to be reactive, why I can't be proactive. Like, why can I not proactively say, like, go in and say, don't ever show me this person or this event or this time period mm. in memories? Like, because... You may be able to do it for a person. Mm. Let me see. I could find that one out. But there's still like, there are things you can say, like don't show me this event or this place or anymore. But like, I I I want much more like proactive stuff than that. If you can do it for a person, I don't know how it is. No, it's just like feature less. Like that's it. Oh yeah. Okay, never feature this person. I don't know why. If you press feature less, it pops up and says, would you like to never feature this person? It's like, okay, well, I don't know why we've got less and never. So you can do that for in iOS 15. You can go into the faces area. You can select the little three dots, do feature less, and then choose to never. But like that's not everything. Like I still want time periods, all kinds of stuff. I don't know why I have to do this stuff after the fact. But for me, anyway, with photos, it's much more the sharing stuff just isn't good enough, I think. Yeah, I think you, you nailed it. And Eric mentioned Siri, and we beat on Siri, but like Siri needs to be better. Um that's that's just like i think that's the easiest one a siri needs to be better and i would say more broadly i don't know some of their learning stuff doesn't impress me every now and then i get impressed when it's like it's suggesting me something an app or a or or, but like i don't use the siri watch face and that's not the voice siri that's like apple's device intelligence and it just does not impress me um i think all that stuff needs to be better but um i think i think you make a good point about photos photos has gotten a lot better i think the last few years in terms of some of this stuff but it's got a long way to go Hi, Jason and Mike. I'm Manoj from Vancouver, Canada. A hypothetical scenario. Let's assume both of you are given a choice to replace an Apple-provided official app with an indie app. What would it be? Mm. We're big in Vancouver. I love it. 
So we can replace any app that Apple ships with one of yeah. our own. Where are you leaning? I don't know. This is hard for me to pick one. I ha- I could have a f- I could think I could have a few. Honestly, <laughs> Fantastic for Calendar. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Castro for podcasts. <laughs> Any sure, pick, literally pick your poison. Like I'm fine. Uh, obviously, Peacock, right? With we'll sure. swap the calculator over Peacock. Sure. James was just in an article about actually this kind of thing on the Verge. I'll put that link in that in the show notes in case people want to read it. They oh, were writing you mean about a friend of the show, James Thompson, author of Peacock? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think I think Fantastic Cal would be my uh, number one choice, and number two would probably be Overcast. Um, or literally any other <laughs> podcast app other than Apple Podcast. Apple Podcast is fine. The other ones I think are better. Sometimes I think that Castro is the most Apple-like podcast app in the sense that it's opinionated and opinionated in a way that I feel like Apple would be opinionated about like it looks really good and there it has a way of working and you're going to use it that way and like and I don't mean that negatively I mean it, that that's the kind of stuff that Apple does is <laughs> be like why is it like this because we think this is the best way like all right but as a third party app it's a little bit different uh, but yeah fantastic how would be uh the number one example um Dan Morin and I were talking about this uh, a couple of weeks ago um about calendar stuff and how bad like i i'm actually using mimestream the email program which also i would say is is uh which is by somebody who used to work on apple mail and it just works with gmail now but like so good it's it's like apple mail but also good um and on the mac like you look at calendar and you look at mail and you look at some of these apps that have been around forever and I don't understand, like Apple must just think that they're good enough as it is. But I find that funny given how aggressive Apple is about updating like notes and reminders, like the notes and reminders people are possessed with getting better. And I, I, uh, um, I actually wrote a piece about this last week on six colors about how like they added in smart, uh, collections, which which they, you know, Apple's always sort of basically implied that you don't need smart albums and photos, and you don't need to be able to edit smart playlists and music on on iPads and iPhones because it's too complicated. And then they're like, nope, we're in iOS 15. We're we're putting in smart lists for reminders and, and, and like and, we're going to show you collections. this huge like this is how you do this kind of thing yeah. right when you yeah start and we're, we're we're just going to embrace it in fact i i immediately had the thought which is next year in ios 16 they're going to do their take on um on rome and notion and obsidian and stuff like that i, mm. I think ios 16 the notes notes is going to be totally about like linking between notes and stuff and they'll do it again in an apple way where it'll be like super sanded down smooth and 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 all of that but i think there's they're still going to do that and i won't be surprised when that happens at all because the notes and reminders team are really pushing things forward whereas and safari you know we can complain about safari but like they tried they're something. trying new stuff <laughs> whereas like mail is just dead and calendar is dead and there are so many frustrating things in calendar that fantastical has has picked up and is doing, and then you go over to Calendar, and you're like, oh, right, it doesn't do any of these things. And I mean, I know Fantastical has esoteric features, too. That's how you survive as a third-party app. But some of Calendar's, uh, Fantastical's features really should be table stakes, and yet the Calendar app is just like, meh, good enough. And I, I, that, that infuriates me, is the system apps 
that Apple seems to have decided are good enough and that they don't ever want to revisit again. Because Mail Mail is my favorite example, and I don't have a, no. a replacement for it. There are a bunch of apps that are trying this, but the fact that Apple Mail has never even once tried to understand that you know maybe you want to uh, auto-filter things on iOS or you want to have it do a kind of a learning-based filter or defer messages for a while or, you know, like you could or have a priority inbox or like there are all these things they could try that a bunch of other people have tried in the last 15 years. And instead, Apple Mail is like, it's 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 not that different from the next mail app that was its origin, right? Like, and it was Steve Jobs' mail app. And that's why mail exists is that Steve Jobs wanted them to build the next mail app on Mac OS X. And, and so they did. And, and it is a direct line from that more or less. And I don't know. It's just, it's so disappointing when Apple abandons these system apps and sort of just says, yeah, good enough. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by Amazon Music. Since you're listening to this show, I think I can probably assume that you like listening to podcasts, and you will find tons of binge-worthy podcasts on Amazon Music, including this very show. Amazon Music has more than 10 million free podcast episodes to listen to. But Amazon Music, of course, isn't just for listening to podcasts. They have thousands of music stations and top playlists to stream for free. And no matter what you're listening to, you can go hands-free with Alexa. If you want your music on demand and ad-free, try Amazon Music Unlimited. That gives you unlimited access to over 75 million songs, as well as podcasts, music videos, and more. And with Amazon Music Unlimited, you can listen to any song anywhere offline with unlimited skips. What Look, what I love about podcasts is as my listening habits change, there's always something new for me to find. Whether it's something tech-focused or news-focused, comedy, or even friends playing D&D, there is a podcast to listen to. I also love listening to podcasts all the time, wherever I am. So having an app in my pocket opens the world to me forever I want to listen to. And all of my favorites are available right there in Amazon Music. I was poking around a couple of days ago, listening to some stuff. Everything's there. I could search for it super easy, find the podcast, press play, done. If you've never tried Amazon Music Unlimited, now is a great time. Because for a limited time, new customers can try Amazon Music Unlimited free for 30 days. No credit card required. Just go to Amazon.com slash UpgradeFM. That's Amazon.com slash UpgradeFM to try Amazon Music Unlimited free for 30 days. One last time, Amazon.com slash UpgradeFM. It renews automatically, but you can cancel at any time. Terms apply. Our thanks to Amazon Music for their support of this show and all of RelayFM. Let's get our next question. All right, here it is. Hey, this is Joel calling in from Peters Canyon Regional Park in Tustin, California for my out loud upgrade, outgrade question. If I am looking to get a new Mac this fall, am I better off with a decked out MacBook Pro that I want to use at my desk and away from it or a Mac Mini and a MacBook Air for the same price? Thanks. Bravo for yep. the outgrade question. It didn't matter what question Joel had. This one was going <laughs> in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't That's remember, great. in August of 2020, Jason and I created a fake soundscape in an episode called Outgrade where we pretended to be outside. Uh, I, it sounds like Joel was actually outside, um, which was better than, than what we did, but... All right, so which Mac... So, Lolly, which would you which would you have if you were in Joel's situation... Uh, two Macs or one Mac? I uh, I have lived both of these lives. I think... Okay, two things. One is, the premise here is, you buy a more expensive, more capable Mac, 
or for that price you could buy two cheap Macs. I'm not sure like yeah, I guess there's a way to do that if you bought a like super pricey MacBook Pro when it comes out versus what, you know, a uh, a 24-inch iMac and a or a Mac Mini and and a uh, and a MacBook Air. I think you're going to be happier with a more powerful Mac. And if it's a laptop, you can get an external display and you can dock it. Um which is jankier than the alternative, but you can get a dock you you know get a thunderbolt dock or something like that so you have one plug to plug it in and that works pretty well and i i've done that for a long time and the most important thing is even in this era where we have iCloud and Dropbox and things like that i have so you know mike i i've went several years where i basically never used my macbook air my mm-hmm. old macbook air other than occasionally for like a big deal podcast interview in new york city like the ones that we did some stuff like that where i did it mostly it just sat here at home and I didn't use it. And recently I've been using my MacBook Air, my new M1 MacBook Air more. And what it's reminded me is I go to my mom's house in Arizona for a week and I'm opening up my MacBook Air ready to do my job. And I do a thing that I always do on my iMac at home and nothing happens because that keyboard shortcut isn't set up or that macro didn't sync or I didn't put in the right SSH key, or like whatever it is. And it's always happening because those two computers are not in sync. Even every time I open it up, there's something where it's like, oh yeah, this doesn't work on this computer. So those are my reasons for saying you probably should just get one really, really good computer instead of two okay computers. And the benefit's going to be that you don't have to keep it in sync. I agree with you very much on that point like i run two macs right now with one mac at home that never gets used unless i'm in an emergency because because i couldn't move it because who knows the pandemic if i have to record at home and these computers just are never in this in a similar state to each other uh, in a little bit i'm gonna actually come back to this idea of using a laptop and plugging it in because that's also not a perfect experience. I'll talk about that. And we've got a question later on, which I want to touch on that a little bit more. But I think I would suggest that unless you have some needs to dictate a difference in hardware, you know, like that maybe you need an incredibly powerful machine, but you want a lightweight laptop, you know, then then that's fine. But other than that, I would recommend like you just get one powerful computer, whether it's a laptop that you take with you or it's a desktop and you just only ever work on the desktop. Hi, Mike and Jason. I'm Nate Rudd, podcaster at MyHillToDieOn.com and an IT director at an international school in Japan. I was disappointed yet convinced as my school passed up one-to-one iPads for Chromebooks again this year because of the monitoring and repairability. Do you think Apple will ever put in the effort in either hardware or software to make an education-focused initiative that could better rival Google and Chromebooks? So shout out to Nate for plugging his his stuff in his in his question. It's always good. <laughs> Nate was Nate was smart because I'll say most plugs uh-huh. there were many plugs got edited got out. Cut out. I couldn't cut out Nate's because of how he was talking. Otherwise, you say, "Hi, I'm Nate," and like he wouldn't have. It would have. It yeah. sounded weird when I tried well, to get because, it out. That's a good because, work. The conjunctions of where he what of the site that he wanted to promote and his status as an educator, which was key to the question, were phrased in a way where they flowed from each other. Mm-hmm. So you beat us, Nate. Bravo! You, you got it through. 
So well, well played. But we'll get, think, we'll get you next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you'll get yours, Nate. Um, I so the question is about Apple and education, but I feel like we could even pull back and just say this is a question about Apple in various markets. Yeah. Which is, I've learned over God way too many years of of following Apple that Apple. What makes Apple great in in a sense is its focus on its core markets. And you know, modern Apple, I would say this was a little less true in the in the 90s when the Apple did have less focus and in the 2000s when they were coming back, they started to lose this uh and but the modern Apple of the last 15 years especially the focus is on the end user and delighting the end user and making a product that the, that that regular people who buy a computer will like or a phone or a tablet right like they that's what they care about and they build their products it's in their dna they build their products that way that's what it's for and everything else is i don't want to say an accident but it's beside the point so like I did back in June, I did that uh, the report card about Apple and enterprise. Oh yeah, yep, yep. And one of the things you know that comes up in something like that is, oh, Apple doesn't really do this, and they have this thing, but it's not. And like Apple's got making a lot of effort in the enterprise market, and that's all true. But at its core, the computers that it's selling, the phones that it's selling into the enterprise market are just the computers they make for regular people. Mm-hmm. Like they don't they don't they don't do anything beyond that. That's what Apple is about. And so y- your question Nate about Apple and education, I would say Apple might make a move there uh, versus Chromebooks or they might not, but it'll only happen because of where Apple wants to take the iPad. That you know, that's it. Like for everybody. And so if Apple's vision for the future of the iPad happens to take it in a place where it's going to do well in education, then it will do that. But it's not going to steer the iPad in a particular direction for the education market. It's just never going to do that because it's not going to steer its products, I think, anywhere for anything other than the idealized customer, which is a single person who walks into an Apple store and is delighted by a piece of hardware. That's their core belief. That's what they build the products for. And everything else just comes, you know, even though Tim Cook and Luca Maestri will go get on these analyst calls every quarter and say, like Luca does it, he's like, let me give you some examples of Fortune 500 companies that have adopted our hardware, right? He's reading from his thing and it'll be like, this bank got iPads for all of its tellers and this airline is using iPads for their flight manuals. And they, they boast about it and I get it. But it, in the end, that's not luck, but it's it's adding things on the edges, building around the core which is this idealized customer that they want to delight with their hardware. So um, that's my long-winded version of saying, will Apple you know, make a, more of a go of it in education? Maybe if, it, if its vision of the future aligns with what education wants. And I think the reason that the Chromebooks are doing so well in education is because it doesn't right now. 
like to build on what you were saying, which I actually kind of I hadn't thought of it like that, and I, I do like it. Like Apple are not going to ever make an education focused iPad. Neither are they going to make changes to the iPad line that will make it more appealing to the education market. Right. Because then that changes the product for everyone, and they're not going to do that. Neither are they going to make a low cost MacBook that would be more appealing to the education market, right? They're just the most not. that they will do is what they currently do, which is keep products mm-hmm. around for education customers that other customers can't buy, which are like right. older versions. But that's probably not also what you want because like what Nate was saying, like repairability and stuff like that, like that's just not Apple's bag. Like the the last the last product that Apple I can remember that Apple made for a targeted market was the eMac. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was for those who don't remember the iMac made the transition from the G3 iMacs that were based on a CRT to the G4 iMacs that were a, a, an LCD. And so they were a lot more a floating, a floating display on the little Chrome arm. And then ultimately they went to the iMac that we know of today. Um, they were a lot more expensive and education very much as like selling that MacBook air with the education price for a while after it had even stopped being sold to other people. Um, the, the, iMac G3 was very popular in schools and the new iMacs were not rugged, right? They had the little chrome arm and stuff. They were not perceived as being particularly rugged to uh to handle classroom environments and they were more expensive than the class than the education customers wanted to pay. And so what they created the eMac the eMac was kind of just a G4 version of the G3 iMac. It did have a new enclosure that was a case where they built a product just for education because I think somebody, one of their education people came to Apple when they heard about the G4 and they're like, no, 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 no. Do you realize how much money we make selling iMacs to schools? You got to keep making the iMac for schools. And they're like, all right, well, okay. And they made, they sold the eMac for a little while, but like that, that was a long time ago. <laughs> and in general, they don't want to do that because they want to make products for everyone. Mm-hmm. And their, their thought that was 2005. Um, their thought is, if we make a great product for that idealized customer who's walking into an Apple store, it is a great product for everyone. That's not always true, but I think it serves them more often than it doesn't serve them. So, you know, that's, that's, you take, it, take the good and you take the bad with Apple's philosophies, but that's definitely Apple's philosophy there. Talking about Apple's philosophies, uh, what's our next question? Oh, a little... Uh... Uh, foreshadowing uh, yeah it's like you've heard these questions before which we have because he said i'm just guessing hey mike and jason this is taylor from atlanta georgia i'm finishing up my master's thesis which cites both of you extensively Ooh. and i was wondering if you would be interested in giving your take on my research question basically i'm looking at the debacle around the trash can mac pro the imac pro and the new mac pro to try and figure out how apple's definition of pro has changed over the last five years and how much you as podcasters and we as fans of the company have impacted that so again if you tell me you're citing me in your master's thesis i will include your question in the show (laughs) that's that's just a thing that you're gonna get for free from me thank you taylor and so there's a couple of parts to this question i want to attack that second part last I do believe that the Mac enthusiast market forced a change at Apple, right? Like, I don't think that I'm alone in believing this, but the whole Mac roundtable that's re-commit like, to Macs mm-hmm. and professional, that happened because of the general upset from a certain part of the market. Like, 
clearly Apple made the decision that they made because it was a small part of their market. The problem was is an influential and loud part of their market. And there are benefits to it that like these people are your evangelists. They're the people that make purchasing decisions in enterprise. Like make them happy and it can, you know, it actually is funny enough goes back to the education. So it's an often used argument for the education market, which I do agree with that by getting these products in people's hands when they're young, they will buy them in the future. The thing, But the thing Apple doesn't need now is to show young people that they, that you should have an iPhone or an iPad because that's what they care about most because all young people want that anyway, so they don't really need to evangelize it there. But I do think that the general consensus in this community that we're a part of pushed Apple towards making what I think and we all think is the right decision into recommitting onto what Pro meant for them. Yeah, I think I think there's some truth in that. Um, App Pro has always been a marketing term for Apple. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's always, on one level, it's always just meant the best, um, the high quality, the thing that the pros care about. And therefore, that means that it is a little more expensive or maybe a lot more expensive, but it's like our best work because pros are demanding. We had a uh, an ad campaign. Uh, I don't know if it's still going on, but it was an ad campaign for, a, for uh, GMC trucks in the U.S. And the slogan was, we are professional grade. Now, I don't love that campaign i didn't love that slogan but i think it's instructive because what they're trying to do is not sell like they're gonna sell trucks to people who need big trucks but they're also selling trucks to people who don't need big trucks it's people that aspire to need big trucks which is similarly to these products it's like that's where prosumer comes in right yeah or they like the idea that this is going to get them the best truck because the pros have to rely on this truck and they're not going to put up with second rate stuff. Uh, they're going to have the highest grade, like the use of grade on right professional grade. Like this is what the pros use. And that's why I like it. So Apple has played that game for a very long time and they play it more now in the last five years. I would actually say to Taylor's point, uh, look at the iPhone, right? We now have an iPhone pro, right? We didn't mm-hmm. used to have pro iPhones. We have iPhone Pro now. What does that mean? What is a Pro smartphone? And they talk about like Camera Raw and they got better cameras and all that. But the point of it ultimately is just this is the best of these. MacBook Pro is the better of the Mac laptops. The Mac Pro is the highest end desktop. iPhone Pro, iPad Pro, right? It just is the best one. It's on the cutting edge. It's got the best stuff. It is the most expensive, but you got to pay for quality. That's what it means. Anything else about like particular markets? Eh, like it is it, it, the the idea there is you're paying for better stuff. Now, Apple recognizes that like uh, iOS developers are their maybe top market for Mac Pro purchases, you know, Pro Mac products because you've got to use a Mac to develop an iOS app. Um, I think they know about those high end applications for Mac hardware. Uh, that rec- that that drive Mac Pro sales. I-, I think they're more aware. I think they lost the plot a little bit 
And, and to your point, I think that's what the Mac Roundtable yeah. was about, was like they used to be sort of viewing the Mac as just kind of this legacy platform that they were going to let kind of ride off into the sunset and not worry about it too much, sort of like Apple Mail, like writ large. Mm-hmm. Um, burn. Uh, but that they changed their mind and they're like, no, 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 we're going to make an effort here to sort of integrate the Mac with our other platforms. And we've seen that over the last few years. Um, and some of that is about worrying about the pros who use their hardware. But I feel like, you know, in the end, going back to the previous question, what they're really mostly thinking about is those idealized customers who want the best and aren't necessarily using it, but they want the best anyway. And so professional grade. Yeah, it's like Apple focus a lot on their who are their professionals as like movie, like filmmakers and photographers. Like that seems to be that one of their main things. Talk about pro, yeah. it's always like here it is in well, a music it's the, studio. It's the glamour. It's yeah. the glamour, right? It's like yeah. we use we made a short film with an iPhone Pro and we you could edit it and it's four K HDR. And most people aren't gonna need that, but isn't it amazing that this phone's so powerful that you can do it so you can want it too? But like yes, they, there's that's the glamour aspect of it, which is you show off and Apple's done that for thirty years too. Mm-hmm. You show off the product of things made on the Mac and say, This is again, the message is not directed at vfx artists or filmmakers or ios developers it's at the general public but the point is these people use our tools to make these amazing things that's how powerful they are don't you want the same tools that the pros use and so they're very happy to use those high profile examples and in some cases commission people to do high profile projects so that they can show them off and say look they made this film we, you know, we paid this director to make this short film on an iPhone 12 Pro, I think they did. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think. So what is Pro? Ultimately, number one, it's just a tag to create an aspirational aspect to the higher end feature laden version of a product because that really works. And then secondarily, Apple is aware of high profile markets that uh, it that it wants to serve with their products, especially on the Mac side. I hope that helps, and I hope I won't be removed from the thesis now. Hi, I'm Marlies from Groningen, hometown of AFC Richmond's legendary Jan Maas. If you had to carry a second phone for work, what would you pick? (laughs) Marlies! So mine's easy, because it's the second phone that I currently own, which is the Samsung Galaxy Z Flip 3. Ah, uh, I just those, got it those last uh, folding week. phones are looking pretty good now, right? Like I was pretty surprised when Jason sent me this message in Slack the other day to that exact effect, and I was yeah. I was surprised. I mean, yes, they are. They are. They're getting closer and closer towards being something you can actually use, as opposed to something you need to baby. I forget where I said this, and I'm not sure if it was upgrade last week or not, but I, I feel like we've reached that milestone now where the Apple folding phone is probably coming in the next year or two. I think so. Because the Samsung phones have gotten to the point where they're they're exiting the, this is sort of a joke and experimental, and mm-hmm. entering the, this is actually good phase. And that's mm-hmm. generally when Apple just kind of like give them a year or two, and then they pop in and say, yeah, we've been working on this for the last five years too, but we didn't sell them until now, and then and they'll roll their thing out. That, that would be my guess, is that mm-hmm. we're going to see a folding uh, iPhone in the next couple of years. Um, so you, you'd go with the, the Z Flip? Yeah, I really like it. It's my favorite Android phone that I've ever used. And it's also different. 
like th- th- it's different enough without being too wild. Like the mm. the Z Fold, which is a larger one, which becomes like mini tablet, is really cool, but it's not a phone. Like it's it's like a whole different thing, and I don't really know where I would use that so much. Um, but the Z Flip is much more of a yeah, I can use this. It's a phone. It does some stuff that's really cool, and it does stuff that the iPhone just can't do, which I also right. kind of like. Um, yeah, but that that's what I would pick. I have an iPhone 12 mini. Mm-hmm. So my second phone would probably be like an a, an iPhone 12 Pro or 12 Pro Max. Right. Because there's nothing wrong with that. Right? I got a, I got the little phone. It doesn't have all the cameras. It doesn't have all the space. Mm-hmm. It works for me most of the time. If I had a second phone to carry around, having one with a big screen or bigger screen and the extra camera would be nice. Um, I might consider an Android phone. I do have, um, I, I, you know, I always try to keep an Android phone around, uh, for reference. And then of course, unfortunately, very quickly, they don't run the latest version of Android and you have to buy a new phone because that's an Android thing. Um, I, I will also admit to being curious about the two new Samsung things because they both look interesting in different ways. I think I would probably be more like, Federico and be interested in the fold that sort of is basically a tall phone that turns into a small tablet because I'm more tablety than phone e mm-hmm. but um uh in the end I mean if I have to have a second phone um it would probably be an android phone just because I do like to keep one around but if I'm living the iPhone life I would just uh I would just get a, a pro phone because I don't have a pro phone pro is important to me it's professional grade very so call back you're a professional Who's our next mm-hmm. caller? Hi, Jason and Mike. This is Ian from Glasgow. And my question is, do you think Apple will ever allow end users to boot macOS on an iPad? Or will they persist with most people buying the same hardware twice? Oh, now that's a Scottish, Scottish accent. accent. Oh, that's, that's a real one. That's not that James Thompson fake Scottish Take accent. Take that friend of the show, James Thompson. It's, that's a real Scottish accent right there, let me tell you. I love it. Oh. Uh, macOS on an iPad. Is the dream alive? Uh, I can't see it. I, 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 they could do it, right? Like they could totally do it. I think I feel like this year might have been the year for them to do it, and they didn't do it. Uh, so I just don't think they. I, I, you know, why buy one device when you can buy two devices from Apple? I feel like is their is their attitude there. I would love. You know what I would love is I'd love to get to the point where they allow you to like virtualize macOS inside the iPad, mm-hmm. which they can do. The M1, you know, is is probably capable of that. Like where regular people, you're not going to boot into macOS and regular people are never going to do this. But if you're a power user or a developer or something like that, they will provide like uh, an app. Maybe you have to be a registered Apple developer that is basically virtualization of mac os monterey let's say mm-hmm. inside an ipad so that you could on a on a high-end you know ipad pro with lots of memory you could have a little sort of like mac os app that was running on your ipad that might happen someday i don't think booting into mac os is a thing that's ever going to happen have you heard of microsoft 365 yeah this is a pretty new thing that microsoft's doing where you can access a version of windows from anywhere you can get to a yeah. web browser in and a they web have browser. an app on iPad. 
I would like something like that. I mean, honestly, what I would want is some kind of native thing. It's only sure. getting worse now that the chips are the same. Like it makes it more annoying. Like I wow. would pay Apple whatever they would charge me to have one laptop that could I could dual boot into. Like I desperately want that, but I don't think they're ever going to do it now. I think the time has come and gone for that. Like. I don't know what it is that would have to happen for them to create it. I still think right. one day, like I still believe this, one day there will be a unified operating system and, and that's when we'll get it. But I don't think that's anytime soon. But I still think yeah. it. I mean, my dream my dream laptop is that, you know, you detach the screen from the MacBook and it becomes an iPad and then you reattach it and it becomes a Mac. But I also don't think that's ever going to happen. All right. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at pingdom we use pingdom here at relay fm because we want to know when our website's working because like we have a website like so many people do it serves a purpose whether it's driving people to your products whether it's selling something creating sales leads having contact forms that people can fill out that kind of thing but there's you don't want your website to be down people trying to come to it and failing there's a solution to this transaction monitoring from pingdom Starting at just $10 a month, transaction monitoring runs checks 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it will alert you when cart checkouts, forms, or login pages fail before they affect your customers and your business. Pingdom will notify you the moment there's a failure via SMS, email, or via integrations with your favorite apps like Slack, Ops Genie, and PagerDuty. Depending on what's being monitored or the severity of the outage, you can also customize who is alerted and how, which is really important. Don't let your users discover a problem of your website. You should be the first to know, and it's so easy to get started. Just go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 30-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you're ready to buy, use the code UPGRADE at checkout, and you'll get a huge 30% of your first invoice. That's pingdom.com slash RelayFM for a 30-day free trial, and the code UPGRADE at checkout for 30% of your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and RelayFM. Who's up next? Hi, this is Ben from Boston, and continuing with the alliteration, I want to talk about batteries. Specifically, how you both think about the batteries in your devices over time, whether you've adopted any of the persnickety best practices for battery longevity, like keeping them between 50 and 80%, or using the slowest charging apparatus available, and how often you replace them. Additionally, I'd appreciate it if you amplified my call for Apple to implement a setting in battery health to allow users to set a maximum charging level so the nerdiest of the nerdy can rest easy knowing that when they go to bed and plug their phones in overnight, they won't charge all the way to 100%. Wow. I know there are a bunch of Android phones that have that feature. Like mm-hmm. the kind of like niche Android phones uh, have this thing where you can you can say how much you want it to charge to. Uh, I, this is one of the things I, I I thought, okay, Ben, I will amplify your call, but I will have to say on the show that I do not care about this. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't I do any of this. I don't think about it. My device should be doing it for me. That's what I think. And, and that is Apple's philosophy mm-hmm. on this. Apple is doing some battery nerdery. Like there are battery nerds at Apple, um, and they are doing battery nerdery behind the scenes right like Mm -hmm. things are happening like it doesn't charge your phone up to 100 percent all the time no and it doesn't keep feeding electrons into it it like it hovers right could they be more aggressive 
maybe they're balancing the idea that they want your phone to be ready when you go. And if they if they only charge it- I don't want to be caught out. Yeah, you don't want to pick up your phone and, and go out for a long day of doing whatever, and it's only at 80%, right? You don't want to do that, right? And they, they have to fight against that. I think there is some- um, is it on the Mac in the like they are they are experimenting with using their kind of intelligence to guess when you usually I think no actually I think this is on the iPhone like they know when you unplug and start your day mm-hmm. and they they will make some guesses about getting you fully charged for that moment but not charging you up earlier in the night to full like they are all so my my point is i feel like it's probably not that important and you can easily overthink it and that apple doesn't want users to worry about it but that behind the scenes apple wants to build a system that can intelligently do the right thing in the right circumstances to maximize battery life i do i do think that they're doing that i mean i don't do qi charging just for a bunch of reasons with my phone like i don't I'm not really into it uh, I so I have I a Qi charger that I use for my uh, AirPods, like just because whatever. But like I don't I don't do that. I don't do the MagSafe or anything. I have ninety eight percent battery health on my my one year old iPhone, which feel, I think feels pretty good. I understand why people want to manage this stuff. It's just not something I want to have to think about when it is something that I do believe that the device manufacturers should be doing the work on. And this is this is the ultimate Apple thing, right? Like Apple doesn't want you to worry about it. There is, by the way, in the iPhone, it's optimized battery charging. And that that's this feature above 80%. It won't do it until it's sort of trying to learn when yeah. you need it. This was one of those things that they got in trouble with, with the, with the throttling yeah. years ago. Yeah, so they're, 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 it's a feature and you can turn it off and they're trying to disclose more what they're doing, but they, they're always trying to figure out ways to do this. And Apple is never going to give users that level of granularity, I think, because they don't think... Uh, that the hardware manufacturer should have to leave the management of the battery. Also, uh, users, you know, some of what users want to do is more like, uh, 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 it's not necessarily right. I think that's the challenge. And it's not just that there are rumors that go around that are inaccurate about the right way, quote unquote, to do battery life. Also, what you'll see if you if you follow this stuff over the long haul is there will be something that's true about the batteries eight years ago, and it's and it stopped being true four years ago, and people are still doing that behavior, and now it's detrimental to the health of the battery, or it makes no difference in the health of the battery. Like quitting all of your pe- apps. Yeah, people don't know the truth uh, of what's in the detail of behind the scenes on the hardware, right? They don't. And then when you do learn something, sometimes it's no longer true anymore, but they don't really talk about it. And you continue to do it almost cargo cult light because you heard it was the right thing to do once, but now it isn't anymore. And and that's why I think the right thing is to just be like, no, uh-uh, we, we're, we're going to take care of this for you. And honestly, yes, a hardware manufacturer that lets users tweak those settings and sort of abandons the need for it to do it itself is um, not doing its job. That is the job of the hardware manufacturer to have the battery uh, use be as uh, smart as possible. Let's get a next caller. Hey guys, Dan from North Carolina. I'm curious if you know whatever happened with target display mode on IMAX. In the last couple of years, Apple's been presenting itself as a very environmentally friendly and conscious company, but their current crop of iMacs are all turned into paperweights when the processor is no longer up to snuff. 
Um, yeah, so target display mode died when the 5K iMac came out because the 5K iMac, especially the initial 5K iMac, like nobody had really done that before and it was really janky technology to get that 5K display. And uh, building in a somewhat niche feature like target display mode was not something that they, I think, could do or at least could reasonably do. Target display mode, by the way, in case you don't know what this is. Oh, yeah. Okay, sure. You hold down the T key on an older iMac and it turns your iMac into a monitor. You can plug a cable into it and it reads as an external display on another mm -hmm. Mac. So here is my answer, which is Apple has an answer for you and it's AirPlay for Mac in Monterey. And that I think going forward, that's what they're going to do. I wonder oh, if they will yeah. ultimately get to it where you can literally just boot and hold down a key and it turns it into an AirPlay display. But I think that's what they're going to tell you. And there's going to be a little bit of lag. Um, but I think that's what they're going to that that's going to be their solution is if you've got an iMac that can run Monterey, you can you now have an iMac that is an AirPlay uh, target. And then you can just AirPlay, use it as an AirPlay display as a second monitor. And that will work. Um, it's not the same. It's not. But um, I don't know if they're going to invest any money in building in something more sophisticated than that. It would be nice. It would be nice if they brought back target display mode in some way. Um, but because I agree, they like I've got this beautiful 5K iMac Pro here and I'm going to buy a. Uh, uh, an Apple Silicon Mac at some mm -hmm. point in the next year. Mm -hmm. And either this iMac is going to just kind of sit in a corner or I'm going to sell it. But like this screen is gorgeous, right? I, I could keep the screen, but how do I do that in a way that's satisfying? So uh, yeah, it's, I, I hear you. Uh, and I wish Apple would do something. I wonder if the AirPlay display target thing is something that might lead to, a little bit more of a official beaming sidecar kind of thing where you sort of like take over the display in a future version of Mac OS. But I, I'm not sure they're going to have a dedicated hold down a key to boot and enter in a mode. And if they do, I'm skeptical that it will be the target display mode. I think it's more likely that they'll you'll hold down a key and it'll boot into AirPlay display mode, which might not be what everybody wants, but that may be what they're willing to do. To provide some follow-up, real-time follow-up to hopefully stop the follow-up. Target display mode. Oh, target display mode. No, target disk mode is hold down T, yeah. right? Command target F2. display mode is hold down Command F2, everybody's yeah. favorite. Yes. Everyone's so favorite, easy to Close those remember. emails, everybody. Definitely always an F2 key on every keyboard. It is only for iMacs, uh, basically in from mid-2014 mm -hmm. back mm -hmm. uh, to about 2009. That was the era of the of the target display mode, which means that the era of the target yeah. display mode was five years long, and it's been seven years since then. So, yeah. And Apple would say, "Well, you, it's not a paperweight. Just recycle it with us." That's what they would do. Yeah, or it. just give it to a give it to a friend or something. Mm -hmm. And th those are good uses too. But it would be nice if you could uh, repurpose that screen. It's true. It sure would be. Hi, David Schaub from Vancouver here. Apple has frequently tried to achieve a single cable going from a Mac to its display. How important is it to you that a single cable can connect your Mac and external display? Another, another Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, so oh, we are big in Vancouver. This is a That's thing we have be our noticed. Next event. 
uh, with the Relay FM members Discord. There's a lot of Canadians in the Relay FM members Discord, like a disproportional amount of Canadians yeah. we, have, we have discovered, which is something that was unexpected. Like we have a current events channel and we were initially concerned that it was going to be all American politics. It's actually quite a lot of Canadian politics. It tends mm. to be the majority of the conversations that occur in that channel. I love Canadians. Like we all yep. share the same queen after all, so... Single cable display. So for a desktop for me, not important. Don't care, right? Like this, if, you know, if I have a Mac Mini, uh, I don't need everything to flow through one cable. Right. If there's going to be multiple cables, that's fine. For a laptop, very important. And it doesn't work very well for me with my MacBook and my dock. Like I have a CalDigit dock uh, and it's plugged in by Thunderbolt. And every single day, no matter what I do, when I sit down and plug that thing in, I have to unplug my monitor and plug my monitor back in again oh. and it will work if i don't do this it will not work once i do this it will work this might be because That's i have a usb-c monitor and a thunderbolt dock mm. but you know whatever like it should work but it, it doesn't i'm gonna refer uh, david back to our previous conversation where i mentioned having a laptop instead of two computers and this, this is what i did main reasons why and I had yeah. a, I had a, when I set up my office here first, before I bought the 5K iMac, I had a, uh, a Thunderbolt dock attached to a monitor and all of my peripherals and Ethernet and all of that, and one plug to plug in uh, to do everything. And today, it used to be one plug plus power. And of course, on today's laptops, it's one plug including power, which is even better. Uh, yeah, I love it. Uh, I would. If I was using a laptop as my only computer, I would absolutely try to set up a one plug uh, setup at my desk for sure. This is why I want, uh, like everyone wants a, an Apple display. Is why I want an Apple display is because I'm confident I would get the plug one cable in and it would work situation. Uh, I find it all very frustrating. I don't really know why this experience has to be as it is. I've figured that Thunderbolt was going to make all that easier but it doesn't look like it has. And it's really hard to get Thunderbolt monitors, which is why I have a USB-C monitor, um, because most of them aren't available, especially in the UK. Some of the LG display ones, uh, they are available in America, not available in the UK. So I have an LG display, but it's USB-C, and I think maybe that causes some of my issues, but it shouldn't. I think it was about time that we heard from Canada, eh? Mm-hmm. Pitter-patter, let's get at her. Hello, Mike, Jason, and Relay. I am JD from Michigan, United States. I'm calling in to ask your opinions on the supposed layout of the cameras on the upcoming iPhone 13 and 13 mini in their diagonal form. Do you like this better or worse than the iPhone 11 and 12 design? So, wow. I'll put a link in the show notes to a Mac Rumors article where they have some images of this. And I'll explain this. So on the phones that have the two cameras, the 12 ones, it's one on top of the other on the left-hand side, right? And then they have, on the right-hand side, the flash and some, I think it's a microphone. On the dummy versions, which have, the people that have these dummy versions tend to always be correct. It's like MKBHD mm -hmm. makes a video about them. I think this is like comes from case manufacturers. These two cameras on the iPhone 13 models, they are opposite each other, like diagonally. So one in the top left, one on the bottom right. I prefer them stacked on top of each other, I think. I'm pretty sure I don't care, but mm -hmm. I would say that I kind of like that they look like a two on a six-sided die now. Hmm. You okay. rolled a two. Rolled a two. All right. That's all I got. It's better I than a crit I, Beyond that, I, I don't think I care. Sorry. 
you don't need to care. That's to- totally fine. It's actually part of the <laughs> reason I put it in there. Of like, it, it, oh, this is the thing. It's like I also it doesn't bother me so much if I had to make a choice, which is to answer JD's question. My choice is I prefer the other one, but it also doesn't bother me that much because all of these camera bumps are just their own variants variants right. of ugly. And it's just it, what ugly are you willing to accept? Yeah, it looks like a uh, 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 domino as well. You could say the dots on a on a sure. domino. So we'll call this the domino cam- camera bump from now on. Mm-hmm. Domino camera bump. Sure. Good evening. My name is D. Griffin Jones from Athens, Ohio. A lot of people are asking if or when the Apple Car will be released. But what I would like to ask you is what what ludicrous luxury features do you think it'll have that will make it exorbitantly expensive? <laughs> I like this question. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you, D. Griffin. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Mike? I my inclination is to say that it's more likely that the Apple Car will seem fairly standard with a ludicrous price, and everybody will say, "Wait a second, why?" Does it cost X when it doesn't have all of these ludicrous features that are on other cars? That's for sure, right? Like, that's one thing. One thing is it will be expensive and it will be lacking something and things and that will make people mad. But I did have a couple of things that I could imagine them doing. One is, like, similar to what you were saying, Apple will do some kind of, like, groundbreaking thing that nobody else does that will be more expensive and make the experience worse in some way. Like, I'm I'm convinced of this because Tesla has this issue, right? Tesla do these things all the time. Like people hate that new steering wheel thing, the yoke thing, right? And they're doing it because they're Tesla and they're saying it's better, but everybody thinks this seems to think it's, it's worse. It's terrible, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's stupid. But the other things I could imagine is the materials in the interior especially will be quite premium, maybe more than they need to be, and there won't be a basic version and I expect mm-hmm. there'll be some kind of like wild AR features in the dash. Oh yeah, whatever, like there'll you know? be a heads up heads up projection uh-huh. or something, and and it will and, be like, uh, you know, you know, like how we had that rumor of like the the uh, headset with the two 8K displays in it, which is like way yeah. more than it needs. Um, similar here, right? Like it will be some kind of like 8K AR feature, which is like just like so much more complicated than is required. I think there will definitely be a feature that makes everybody say, um, why did you do this? Nobody wants this. I mean, that's sort of like what you said about the Tesla yoke, but you know, right. Something that's like Apple has prioritized it and they think it's really clever and everybody else is like, I don't know why you did that. That that's usually a given, right? A baffling Mm -hmm. decision or, or, uh, just something that they prioritize. I'm thinking like how the Tesla, has the um they got rid of the vents for for your air conditioning and heating and replaced it with like a a slot that runs the entire length of the dash Mm -hmm. it's like it's it's clever and interesting but it's also like oh that's unusual right like i think there'll be things like that some of which maybe will be like oh yeah that's very clever and others will be like why did you oh no buttons there'll be no 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 physical controls at all instead everything is controlled with siri or something yeah, or some touchscreen stuff with some touch ta- tactics, but there'll be no buttons. And this is the thing that already frustrates people, right? Uh, no buttons. Like, I've seen videos of the Tesla thing. Like, you know, they got, like, the, the even, like, the park reverse neutral drive is on the screen now. And watching somebody do a three-point yeah. turn in one of the new Teslas looks hilarious no. to me. 
No, it's such a bad idea too. What are they doing? Uh, yeah, I think I think you're right. Apple will do some things like that. I would love to believe that Apple will not make the mistakes that Tesla has made and realize that that physical controls are important and that they'll do some physical controls. But my you know my fear is that they'll do some things that make us pull our hair out and and war on buttons is always a good thing to guess from Apple. I mean, honestly, I don't even think buttons. about this because I don't think it's even close if ever yeah. this car thing just just yeah. my own take on it like they're yep. trying like sure try it but like uh, this i still remain unconvinced about this whole topic that's fair today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at doordash you want chinese food tonight somebody else wants pizza and maybe your flatmate they want froyo well, there's something for everyone on doordash it will connect you with the restaurants that you love right now and right to your door and now you can actually also get grocery essentials everything you need with doordash can just be delivered to your home in under an hour drinks snacks other household items sent straight to you and ordering is super easy just open the doordash app choose whatever you want from wherever you want it and your items will be left safely outside your door with their contactless delivery drop-off setting DoorDash have over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia. And you can support your neighborhood go-tos as well. Or you could choose from favorite national restaurants like Popeye's, Chipotle, Cheesecake Factory, and many, many more. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more. Just download the DoorDash app and enter the code UPGRADE2021 if you're in the U.S. and UPGRADE AUS if you're in Australia. Jason, can you tell some of our listeners, uh, or all of our listeners, some of the things that you love about DoorDash? Uh, I've got a a new DoorDash story, which is that um, Lauren was going out uh, to a friend's house for dinner. They did a backyard gathering of a couple of friends of of hers. So we, and I I said to her as she was getting ready to go, oh, do we have food in the house for for me and Julian? And she said, I don't think so. (laughs) And I thought, well, what am I going to do about this? I don't really want to go out. I was already drinking a beer at this point. I'm like, I don't want to get in the car. I don't want to do anything. I just, I, and you know what happened is DoorDash. DoorDash happened. DoorDash Julian has a favorite burger place that is, in our town so it's only a couple of miles away and it's on DoorDash and I was able to make an order for him and me and uh and have it show up in like half it actually showed up before Lauren left and I got to eat my burger in front of her before <laughs> she went to her thing so that was pretty funny uh super convenient and again you know you could, I, I just watched the little car coming down the street uh, on the app until it reached our house and then uh the the dasher set it down and we waved from a distance and uh, then I ate a hamburger and Julian got a hamburger and a shake. So everybody wins with DoorDash is what I'm saying. You got to look your wife dead in the eyes. As you yeah. Look, look, well, you, what? We don't, we don't have any food in the house. Well, now we do. I'll show you. I'll bring the food. All right. So like you can get 25% off up to $10 in value and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store. Enter the code UPGRADE2021 if you're in the, a- in the US and UPGRADE AUS if you're in Australia. One last time, UPGRADE2021 for the US, UPGRADE AUS for Australia, and you'll get 25% off your first order with DoorDash, subject to change terms apply. Our thanks to DoorDash for their support of this show and Relay FM. Who's next, Jason Snell? Well, our next call, Mike, comes from Simon. 
G'day, Mike and Jason. This is yes! Simon from Albany in Western Australia. And I want to know, do you ever have dreams about unreleased Apple products or software? Ooh, it's Simon from the AUS, as you said. I uh, love it. I love AUS. it. This is so good. You've got two Australians on today's episode. Do you think Simon mm-hmm. does the nut bush? I'm certain of it. So <laughs> I had a dream last night. It wasn't about a, a product or service. Let me tell you, by the way, Stephen Hackett has wild dreams. He sometimes tweets oh, them, yeah. and they're usually about like Apple-related things. Because so, he has a dream journal, so he, he actually writes journal, yeah. the stuff down, yeah. I'm not a good mem- rememberer of dreams, so I actually uh, don't yeah. know if, oh. if I have these kinds of dreams of about Apple Of all the Apple skills products. to lack, that's probably a pretty good one to not worry I'm about. I'm fine with it. But I did yeah. have a dream last night about Apple. So I just wanted to share it. Uh, their website got hacked. Apple's website got hacked. And uh-huh. they started by changing all of the leadership images. Like that's <laughs> that's what they did. So it started off like first Johnny Ive came back, which was which was funny. Like Johnny Ive, his image was there. And then it changed to a picture of Johnny Ive with electricity coming out of his head. And he was wearing like uh, Matrix style Neo glasses. So it was hmm. like a whole thing. Then all of the- uh, Did Johnny Ive hack Apple? Was it him? Maybe. I'm going to put a link in the show notes, actually. Uh, Matt found this. I forgot about this. Stephen posted one of his best ones, a WWDC-related dream to oh, yeah. Topics as a while ago. I'm not going to read it because it's too much. I'm just going to no, let so you good. go and read it. Like It's, it's so good. It's, you've got to go treat yourself to Violence that. is done to Apple executives in that dream. Yeah, it's bananas. <laughs> uh, and then also... Um, then the whole website ended up getting hacked and the, the images started to look like... So if you're have a, if you a member of a bunch of discords, uh, on the left-hand side, there's like a dock, right? And they have all of the, the images. Then app, all of Apple's images look like those and then the website just went all weird. So that was my dream last night. Uh, I don't generally have dreams about Apple stuff, believe it or not. But what I do have is uh, classic stress dreams where you're unprepared for something. So the way it works is it's an Apple event that I'm late for or forgot about or I can't get in or I get there too late. It's always something like that. So it's a physical event. It's usually, it used to be Infinite Loop. I suppose those dreams are Apple Park now. But the idea is that it's uh, an Apple event and I've overslept or Mm. I am in the car or I forgot or I get there late. And it's always, it's the the late for school, didn't do your homework kind of dream adapted for an Apple event. I had one like this. which was related to WWDC where for some reason I needed to do like a dramatic reading of some kind that Tim Cook needed me to do from a book on stage and I didn't do a very good job and he was really mad at me. So that that was my like uh, thing like that for some reason. I don't know. I feel like uh, this is a perfect transitional question because the rest of our questions for today are more personal questions mm. so um pew, 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 i guess yeah sure i need to f- i need to fire off the lasers at some point so there it is we're we're in the personal we segment. get our one lasers per episode quarters mm-hmm. limit yeah hey mike and jason this is colin from benita springs florida i'm just curious on how you two first met and more importantly what were your first impressions of each other when you did meet mike how did we meet <laughs> I was thinking about this, Jason. So, I mean, there's there's like different, there are different 
levels to this because of our lives, right? Like the first time right. we ever had an interaction, I interviewed you on right. one of my old podcasts. I don't remember when it was, whether it was on the show that I used to do with my friend Terry or whether it was after that. I, I honestly do not remember. It was this, this is going back a very long time now. Oh, yeah. So there was that. I mean, obviously, I was aware of you before you were aware of me because I'd been following your work for years when you were at Macworld and stuff. Mm -hmm. The first time we met in person was at a WWDC. You invited me to the Macworld party. So mm -hmm. one of the, every year at WWDC, Macworld used to host this party on the on, was it on the roof of the offices. Yeah, it's a, a terrace, so it yeah. was off the side of our our floor. There are a couple floors above it, but like the 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 building kind of gets smaller at the top, so mm -hmm. that there's this big terrace out on the sixth floor that that is where we were. Yeah. So there was that, and I know I went to that, but I think the first time we had any kind of meaningful meeting was at the old conference in like 2014. Mm -hmm. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I think so. The one, the first one that was in Killarney instead of Kilkenny, is that right? That was the first one I went to. Yeah, and that that's the first one I went to as well. And I think that's, I think that's the one because then the the rest of them were at the Europe, mm -hmm. uh, out in Kilkenny, mm -hmm. but that one was in Killarney. So many Irish names that are so similar, and that's where we uh, had our chat and. Mm -hmm. uh, you were talking about pens, and then uh, we were we were also talking about stuff, and that was our first like real in person thing. But yeah, I guess I guess I must have invited you to the Macworld party, so that was our first in person, and then before that we had a podcast. It's a whole thing, so we barely remember that. How about first impressions? Um, I mean, it doesn't count for me because I was aware of you before, right? Like very aware yeah. of you. I mean, but look, my but like the impression. Again, that the, the biggest conversation that we had was when we sat down and we had a very big in-depth conversation about what we wanted to do in our futures uh, when we had breakfast one morning. It's true. Which was probably the genesis of Upgrade, going all the way back to them. Um, I mean, and I just left that experience just believing what I already thought, that you were very interesting, very kind, and very smart person who I dreamed of working with one day, and here we are. Oh, that's very kind. Well, Mike, I've got some great news for you. Love it. I still have all my old emails. Okay. Oh, wow. All right. You can work it out. And so on February 19th of 2012, at 12.04 uh -huh. p.m. Pacific time, Mike Hurley wrote, Jason, the name of podcast, is a tech podcast based in the UK. Every week, me and my co-host Terrence have a guest on. To interview and discuss the latest news with an Apple slant, we usually record on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. our time, which I believe is noon for you. We have our 100th episode coming up on March 14th, and oh, I'd love wow. you to be a part of it. Oh, we can be God. flexible with the time if necessary. Thanks, man. All the best, Mike. Wow. Look at that. All right. So mm -hmm. there is on this, uh, Relay FM rehosts a bunch of shows that were pre-Relay FM shows. That show became a show called Command Space. In August of 2012, just so a few months later, I had you back on the show, mm -hmm. but I wasn't on. <laughs> Stephen filled in for me because I was sick. Yeah, so. and that's I, I kept thinking that the first time I was on your podcast, you weren't on, but that's not true. It was the next time when it had become Command Space mm -hmm. that that I was on without you. Um, the 
I think it's also telling that my response to you was literally um, Wednesdays at noon. I, I would like to say Wednesdays at noon are good for me, but I look out a few weeks and they don't seem to be so good. I might be able to do February 29th or March 14th. If you want to move to another time, I can probably find something better. So my response was not like, hey, thanks for being on. Who are you again? It was like, here's when I'm available. It was just kind of open door there. Mm-hmm. So isn't that nice? And then you nice. sent me a uh, you sent me an email saying, "Are we still okay for tomorrow?" And here's what we want to talk about: the new iPad. Which one? I don't know. 2012. Huh. Uh, Twitter buying Posterous. <laughs> <laughs> and the upcoming Angry Birds space. Are we excited, or do we have Red Bird fatigue? We definitely had Red Bird fatigue at that point. I'm exhausted even now about uh-huh. that. So that's March 2012, which Mike is nine years ago. God. So that my my memory is that you were uh, one of these people in the Mac Apple space who is doing stuff and wants to talk to me, and I had a very much an open door kind of policy of like, sure, sounds great, but that's fun, um, right? So it that was, was different. It. Back and then we then had a good and then we well. had a good chat. Like th- there weren't many people doing that. Like yeah, and I was interested about pod- I was interested in podcasts, right? And I didn't have my own podcast, but we had the MacWorld podcast, and you know we had the studio set up at MacWorld, which is I think where we did that um, interview. I think I went into the the pod cave at MacWorld, and uh, so yeah, that's our I guess that's our story. And then and then yes, I obviously I appreciated your your diligence and your interview style, and then we got to have that chat at Ool, which was really the kind of kicking off of our uh, larger love affair. relationship. Yeah, sure. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> hey, this is Lisa calling in from Tennessee in the U.S. And my question is, if you could go for a week-long vacation in any fictional world, where would you go and what would you do there? Oh, wow. This is... Man, I struggled with this question. I've been thinking mm-hmm. about this one a lot. I, I want to say the key here is I want very little chance that I'm going to die. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, then you're going to pick something really boring. No, no, I just, I, I, and if I go to a fictional universe, I want to go to the part of it where bad things don't happen, right? Like, okay. Like, if I want to go to Star Trek, I don't want to be like on the Enterprise where I'm going to wear a red shirt and die, right? I just want to be on like an awesome planet. Okay. That is awesome and futuristic and cool, but probably not going to be bombed by Klingons, right? Like, that's what I want. For my vacation in a fictional right. world, um, so and and I would probably pick a a fictional world that is like futuristic and and awesome. That that sounds like what I would do. So yeah, I would probably pick Star Trek. But I I again I I just want to make this clear. I don't want to be on a starship wearing a red shirt or really on a starship at all because they blow up sometimes. I don't want to I don't want to do that. I don't want to be taken prisoner by alien menaces. I don't want to have to se- separate the saucer and crash into a planet. I don't want to do any of those things. I just want to hang out on like Risa, the pleasure planet for a week, a week on the Star Trek pleasure planet. Sounds great. Oh boy. Um, Harry Potter. Ah. I thought about it a bunch. I After Voldemort thought... is dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> right? Sure. But you just be a muggle. You wouldn't, you wouldn't even know it was you any don't know different. that. You don't know that. Oh, so Harry Potter, but you're in with the ma- the magic people. Uh, maybe. But I still, you know, a world with magic in it seems really interesting. Like, I originally thought of, like, 
like the Marvel universe, but realized that's probably not good. Like no. I wouldn't be able to experience any of the good. Oh no, no, no. Uh, so I thought that that Harry Potter would be kind of cool. Maybe I could be uh, a magician, uh, a wizard, a magician, wizard? a magician. What a <laughs> wow! I don't know, uh, wizard. Some I don't know. I thought it would be kind of kind of cool. No, that's know. good. That's good. I I like that idea at all. So that's that's a that's a good one. Magician. Yeah, you know. Hi, Jason and Mike. I'm listener James calling in from New York City. My hashtag AskUpgradeOutloud question is inspired by some of the discussion from last week's episode. If you could write and publish a book without needing to worry about all the actual logistics of fitting such a passion project into your life right now, what would that book be? Um, well, I've, I've written some mm-hmm. books, and so it would be a novel that I would write or have written or I would write to completion. My problem is that I wrote drafts and then they just sit there and they need to be rewritten and I haven't rewritten them because I left my job. And, you know, as an independent uh, worker, one of the problems I struggle with is doing, spending a lot of time doing work. I already work a lot and I generally am working on things that that are projects that I've committed to and that are ongoing and I don't have a lot. It's hard for me to basically say now I'm going to spend a day a week or whatever working on my novel. And I've I've tried a few times and it just hasn't happened. But if I had the ability, that would be, I'd get some of the stuff I've already written into shape and, or maybe start something new. That's, that's not maybe exactly the answer that you wanted, James, but that, that would be the answer is that I would, I would finish one of these novels that I've written or, I mean, they're finished, but like I'd rewrite them or I'd write something new. I mean, I have great dreams of writing something fictional, like so many people do, right? Like, I would just, I would adore it, like, to create a world of my own and write something about it. Mm-hmm. I don't have any particular idea. Like, anytime I've ever thought about it, it just depends to me what is the thing that I'm most interested in right now, you know? Like, what is the world that interests me the most? Uh I don't have a particular thing, but one day I would, I would love to try and do it one day to write some kind of fiction, but... I don't, I don't know what that would be. All right, that's that's fine. That's that's. Uh, we'll just put it out there. Mm-hmm. Now, our next question oh, it comes from go. Justin, and it is labeled Star Trek. Oh, My name is Justin, calling in from Iowa in the United States. My question is for Jason: Do you prefer the earlier episodes of SG One when they are outmatched against the Guauld, or would you like the later episodes where the Tari have Asgard and ancient technology? Also, do you like Atlantis and Universe, or do you only like SG One? So, Mike, this is Nuts. Stargate. Nuts. <laughs> It's not Star Trek at all. I, I was like, Star Trek question, interesting. And then he says SG-1, and I'm like, oh. Nice pronunciation of the Goa'ul. Uh, I thought too. that this was the spinoff, but it's not. No, this isn't the Star Trek spinoff. That's Voyager, right? Like, I, I got Voyager and Stargate oh. mixed up in my brain. Th- there's lots of Star Trek spinoffs. Yeah, I know. But, but all these things th- were on TV. And there's lots of Stargate shows. And I didn't care about any of them, right? So, no, like, I to just, me, it was all th- Star Trek. I'm just yeah I know this is the this is a recurring bit on the incomparable where uh, Steve Letts assumes that all science fiction TV shows are Star Trek. I am um, me and Steve are in complete <laughs> agreement about this. <laughs> all right, yeah, love that Star Trek Babylon Five. Anyway, uh, Justin, thank you for your nerdy Stargate question. I do love Stargate. Uh, I like the early years of SG One. I found the um, other spinoffs to be not as good. I thought the later years of the main show were not as good. Um, uh, I did watch the spinoffs, but I, I didn't, 
particularly enjoy them. So my real love is in the first five-ish, five, six seasons of the original show, which is awesome. And I bought all the DVDs and I have them on my Plex and I watch them as comfort food because they're very uh, enjoyable and comfortable. And I hope that uh, at some point here, somebody brings that franchise back because that was a lot of fun. That's a fun, fun sci-fi franchise, although not Star Trek. I'm glad we had this talk. Hi, Jason and Mike. My name's Michael, and I'm from Vancouver, BC. What are your favorite sports ball uniforms of all time, and which ones do you like the least? Vancouver again! I know. These Canadians. Wow, they're on it. Uh, you, we you should start change here. the show somehow and make it all Canadian-focused. Mm. Believe it or not, I actually do have an answer for 50% of this question. A sports jersey that I adored at the time and still really do love is the Italian national football shirt for the Euro 2000 championship. It was made by a company called Kappa. And the thing that made this shirt very different is that it was very like clingy. Like the the, the shirt was very clingy, almost like a surf shirt, you know, like you, a shirt mm-hmm. you wear for surfing. And it was very fashionable at the time. It had a very different collar, that kind of thing. And I remember like people like me wanted it because it looked really different and interesting, and I owned it. I ended up buying the, a replica shirt uh, and loved it. So I don't have a great answer here because I have too many answers. I think this mm-hmm. is a great question, and I wonder if Michael is actually already aware of this, but I... Uh, I actually have opinions and I care about uniforms. I am a regular viewer and I'm going to, or reader, and I'm going to throw it out there for people who don't know. UniWatch, U-N-I-Watch.com, the obsessive study of athletics aesthetics. If you're somebody who cares about uniform designs. Um, all-time favorites? I don't know. Uh, I have lots. That's the problem. Um, I like a lot of the classic designs. My favorite baseball team, the San Francisco Giants, have a classic home uniform that I really like. That's like off-white. It's kind of a cream color, and it's got the block Giants on it in an interesting font. And like, it's a it's a beautiful classic uniform. Um, I'm not a Yankee fan, but you know that is a classic. Um, I love the new San Diego Padres jerseys that are brown. They brought back their brown and yellow color scheme. My favorite American football jersey is probably. The powder blue San Diego Chargers jerseys because they're gorgeous. Um, I just I like them a lot. Um, I have a lot of opinions about ugly jerseys, but like there's so many bad jerseys. There's so many bad uniforms out there that I'm not sure I could. I mean, the worst dressed team in baseball is the Arizona Diamondbacks. Their their uniforms are terrible. Um, I'll do a shout out to the Indianapolis Colts. I think they have one of the best NFL uniforms. It's super simple, but you don't mess with the classics. And I got to be honest, Mike, I don't like most soccer kits because I just can't get over the giant ads on them. And it makes Mm. me sad because they they try really hard to give them um, personality. There are some really nice Euro 2020 uniforms, by the way, that, that we're doing like... A very subtle background like patterns and stuff but the ma- major leagues like it's so dominant by the advertising they put on it that it's hard to focus on the little bits around the edges where they're trying to give you something uh nice to look at 
So that that always makes me sad. And I know that's just, it's a cultural thing and probably those giant ads are coming to every uniform ever, but I think it takes away a lot from uh, from that. I have lots of opinions about uniforms. I think that is the benefit of the national teams is that they don't have sponsorship on their kits. Yeah, and, so yeah, they, and, and there are... Nicer. There are lots, but but honestly, Michael, I would have to take, um, I would have to do like hours and hours of research to even begin to formulate a list because <laughs> I have so many opinions about this. So anyway, I threw I threw some out there, um, and that's just that's just how it's going to be. I'm sorry. I'm sure there. I'm going to kick myself that there's some terrible NFL uniform that I'm not thinking of that is really bad, but I, I'm not thinking of it. So oh well. Hi, Mike and Jason. This is Kim from Budapest. I have a question for Mike. Have you ever tried to convince Jason to try any fountain pens? And if yes, how was the result? Thanks. No. <laughs> I have. There is a bar that people have to cross before I will consider trying, like getting them to try out fountain pens. Very few of my friends have crossed this bar. Like I will try and get people to get better pens in their lives, but yes. there is so many things that I would have them try out before we would get to fountain pen. I do have um, better pens in my life than before I met you. Yeah, I do. I have some. I have some very nice pens now in my little. Uh, pen holder on my desk that I don't use that often, but when I do, I, I I don't use pens very much. I mean, that's the the truth of it is I don't use pens very much. I don't handwrite things much at all. But I have come around to the idea. I mean, I already had I was already using a nicer kind of like a gel pen, but now I have some nicer actual like metal pens too. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're gonna use a pen, you should use a good pen, I think. But um, but yeah, I'm not even close to the bar of something like that cuz like your 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 work with with me is just to have me have decent pens like literally it's just don't embarrass yourself use put down the the Bic mm -hmm. disposable pen get a nice pen and i have some nice pens now but that's nice for me anyway but nicer than what i might have been using before i think you've i think that's far enough i think you're wise to to do that you got to know your limits yeah, where we come together is on on keyboards, mm -hmm. but that's probably a discussion for Upgrade Plus. If you would like to uh, listen to <laughs> us talk a bit about keyboards today, which I think we will, go to getupgradeplus.com and you can sign up. $5 a month or $50 a year, you get longer ad-free versions of every single episode of uh, Upgrade. And that brings us to our final question. Hey there, Mike and Jason. This is a friend of the show, Zach, from Virginia. If you had to award an Upgradey, for the most fun summer of fun bit, not including this call-in show, what would you award that to? That could be, you know, most fun to record or edit, the most summary of all of the bits, or just the concept that you thought was the most fun. Zach is responsible for the uh, scorecards, so is yes. an actual real friend of the show. I also want to contrast Zach with Chance, because Chance was big, and Zach is very small. Mm-hmm. Um, just different. It's it's been fun to hear everybody's voices in this. These are the bookends. I I have a feeling that you and I are probably gonna pick the same one, which is the backward episode downgrade. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It was the yeah. first big one where, like this episode and others we mentioned, outgrade earlier, and then also the holiday specials, where instead of just having a topic, an entire episode is doing something weird, and yeah. this is one of those. Downgrade. Episode 254, July 2019, 
um i think i even said this at the time but like as a kid growing up uh, as a teenager i watched uh late night with david letterman and they did all sorts of like format breaking episodes including one where they rotated the the picture like 360 degrees during the episode so by halfway through the whole picture was upside down and like they just did they didn't care they were like trying stuff out and yeah. and the downgrade idea I just got a real kick out of the idea that we were literally just doing the show with the segments reversed. So we would say goodbye, um, and then we would do Ask Upgrade, and like it would go all the way back to the start where we would say hello, and that would be the end of the episode, and the theme played backward. Like So it was a perfectly listenable podcast. All that was different was the sequence in which we did things, but I love I loved doing that. That was such a great moment of like, yes, we can do some weird things with the show, and it's going to be fine. And we, since then, yes, the Outgrade was a lot of fun. Um, a lot of those kind of high concept episodes, and this one is going to be in in high up on the list now too. Having the having the call in, we do have some other um, high concept ideas we for do. format breaking uh, episodes that we will do at some point. Might not be this year because we may I only sus- have two weeks left. <laughs> I suspect that the summer of fun may rapidly be coming yeah. to an end. Yeah, yeah if yeah. Apple were to announce uh, an event. For the seventh or the fourteenth, we may rapidly have to enter into uh, draft and iPhone mode. Um, so this might be the end of it. I don't know. Yeah. On that note, uh, we are expecting that we'll be doing an emergency draft. Like I, I don't. You know, we spoke about this earlier. It's down to Apple, and when Apple um, announces their event, and for these virtual events, they've been announcing it seven days before, and they've been Tuesday events, which means that they would make the announcement after we've recorded that that week's upgrade. If that yeah. continues to happen, we will once again have to do an emergency draft episode where we make our draft selections, and then we will do our post event episode where we also talk about who won the draft and we would prefer not to do it that way we would prefer to have a little more warning but that's just how it's been yeah so i don't think that there's going to be any change i'm almost convinced this will be a fully virtual event i don't think that there will be an in-person yeah. element so apple will most likely only give one week's notice in that guard so basically yep. i'm expecting either this week we tuesday or wednesday we find out or next tuesday or wednesday we find out and then we'll have to do a, a draft episode towards the end of that week so i think that's it i think that is this has been a great success i think we'll bring this one back i could imagine now, 24, this being uh, 24 oh, we got times. way more by the way yeah i will say oh, we, yeah, didn't, we, did. we didn't answer all the questions uh, if your question didn't get answered, it wasn't because it was bad. It just uh, some of the questions were good questions, but neither of us had answers to them. And if we don't have answers to a question, there's no point putting the question in. Um, right. But thank you to everybody that did send one in. I think we will definitely do this again. Um, I could imagine I this so. being something that we would do in future summer of funs uh, mm-hmm. because summers of fun. It was great. And it, this wasn't like some of our other episodes where it's really, really hard to do. This this wasn't like really no, complicated wasn't. to do. Um, it was pretty straightforward, actually. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Thank you to Farago from Rogue Amoeba. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes. Yes. I, all the Rogue Amoeba products were very helpful in putting this 
together Farrago yep. and Audio Hijack and loop back to make it happen. But yep. I have the whole setup for the incomparable when we do our clip show at the end of the year where I play in clips from uh, previous episodes and I'm just using that same setup here. So that uh, that was actually fairly easy to do. So so yeah, I think we'll bring this back at some point. We could do it we could do it as an ongoing, but the truth is I think that the, then we wouldn't get very many and it's better off no, having a special window that opens and then people send in for that episode and then we close the window again. Because I'll be, I'll be real, right? Like people say, why don't you just ask upgrade every time? Because it's so much easier for me to pick the questions and edit the yeah. text than it is for me to yeah. pick the questions, edit the audio, and get the audio. To, like it's just easier for us to do it this way. And and I, do, I I'm not sure if the audio questions add that much more. I don't know. I'll leave a pin in that, but it's it's unlikely that we would switch to audio questions for. Uh, ask upgrade because as yeah. well like i know not everybody's going to want to do that like some people would just prefer to send their question in via text um, right but, on on know. a tv talk machine we mixed and matched a little bit but i will tell you that what what happens is that people forget to send in questions for a while and, and i so already you don't had get, that yeah you don't get the burst of uh of questions that we get from this so like i said i think it may be more fun to occasionally do and ask upgrade out loud uh, episode and just have people um, do their questions then. If you would like to send in a question for a regular segment, just send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade or use question mark AskUpgrade and we'll be doing more of those uh, next week. Thank you so much though to everybody that did send in a question. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. And thank you for making this episode so summary and funnery. Uh, thank you to DoorDash, Pingdom, Amazon Music and Discourse for supporting this week's show. And thank you to everybody that supports us with an Upgrade Plus membership as well. We really appreciate that. If you'd like to find Jason online, you can go to sixcolors.com and he's at jsnell on Twitter, J-S-N-E-L-L. I'm at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Don't forget to go and check out our fundraiser for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Go to stjude.org slash relay and you can donate and we really, really appreciate it. And so will St. Jude. So thank you so much uh, for everybody that has done and will do throughout now and throughout September. We'll be back next week with another episode of Upgrade. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. They're calling again. Good, good night, everybody. Good night, Vancouver. We love you. <laughs> <laughs>